You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. I was sitting over there thinking just a couple minutes ago, what an honor it was to actually be here. Your pastor and I are good friends. And uh, just to think that my son is back home at Sycamore preaching at the same time I'm here preaching. And I found myself praying for him. I said, Lord, just bless him and fill him with your spirit and your power. And I ask God to do that with us as well. We're going to talk about this morning about God's grace. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 1, just a few verses, and then we'll pause for a minute and ask God to bless the message. Let's begin with verse 1. The Bible says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Verse 2 says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our, our Lord, both theirs and ours. He's their Savior, He's our Savior, amen. Verse 3, grace be unto you. I want you to notice the word grace. We're going to repeat it again in the next verse. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Think about that for a minute. What does it mean, the grace of God that's given to you? We'll cover that in just a little bit. Verse 5, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom ye are called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, verse 3, grace be unto you. Verse 4, I thank God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given to you. Let's ask God to bless the message. Father, in the name of the blood of Jesus Christ, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm asking your Holy Spirit speak to each of our hearts. Help us to understand the things that you want us to learn today from your word. Make us stronger. Let us be able to do more for the cause of Christ. Let your grace be upon us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, I want you to understand some things about what we're going to cover here. We're going to cover some background. Take your Bibles and go with me to Acts chapter 16. Where does this begin? While you're turning to Acts chapter 16, I want you to understand the type of place that Corinth is. It's not a good place. There are certain places in the world that are just known for their debauchery. They're known for their immorality and their wickedness. I lived in Africa as a missionary, and there was a place on the other side of Kenya, in Mombasa, Kenya, that was known for that. It was also a port city. And people would come from all over the world and bring their goods in. They would sail into the port there. And there was all kinds of garbage that was in there. Immorality, sex trading, sex trading, and uh, murder and thievery. Everything that was wicked went on there in Mombasa. It's the same thing here in Corinth. For somebody to be called a Corinthian was not a good thing at all. For you to call somebody a Corinthian, you were calling them the worst of the worst. It was, a, it, was a, it was just a terrible thing to call somebody that. But Paul, the apostle, was called of God to go there. We find that calling over in the book of Acts chapter 16. I'll not read the first few verses, but look at verse 6. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. It says, when they had gone through Pyra and the region of Galatia, and notice this, I want you to notice that Paul was forbidden 
uh, of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now, he had to go through Asia to get over and to Corinth, but um, he was forbidden of the Lord to do that. After they were come to Mysa, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. He allowed them not to go there. And they passed by Mysa, came down to Troas. Now he's at Troas, verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man in Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord hath called us for to preach the gospel unto them. What a powerful testimony. We know that is the Macedonian call. This church in Corinth is a product of that. Now, quite honestly, there's some places in the world you don't want to go. There's places, there's churches I would never want to preach. There's things that take place in churches that just disrupt it, and, and you got to deal with all the garbage. You got to deal with the, uh, the heartbreak that was left behind when one pre pre preacher, when things go on there, and he has to leave for whatever reason, there's the mess that unfurls there. But uh, uh, here he is, he's called to a place, a place where all kinds of corruption and, and, and uh, terrible things are going on. And, and to remind you that when Paul is there, uh, and people are getting saved, uh, he's still got some things to, to deal with in the church. In chapter 5, you see that there was a, a young man there. Remember, a man may have several wives, but he was sleeping with one of his father's wives, you know, and, and the church wasn't deal, dealing with it. And he told him, you need to deal with that thing. And they did. But he had to deal with all kinds of stuff that would uh, hinder the church and hinder the grace of God. And so uh, he's called to this place, of Corinth to begin a work of God. Now, keep in mind, too, that as Paul goes about preaching the gospel, several bad things took place with him. Uh, in Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead. He was beaten with many stripes. He was in prison with Silas. This man had suffered a lot while he was uh, journeying from one place to another. And after a while, you get tired of it. You get tired of this thing. But here he is, he's called to the place of Corinth to go. Now he says, and he starts giving his credentials and his opening statement. It says, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. I ask myself this, how did those people know that he's called to be an apostle? Well, God gave him something. He gave him a gift through a young man by the name of Sosthenes in there. This young man, Sosthenes, at one time was the ruler of the synagogue, and he brought havoc to Paul. But this one man's testimony was a sign of God's grace. He was a testimony of God's protection on Paul. He was his testimony of God's power to forgive as well, and that God was doing a great work in Corinth. Now, I want you to see this in chapter 18 of the book of Acts. You're already in chapter 16. Go a couple pages over to Acts chapter 18. You know, this young man, uh, Paul, we're going to start off. You're going to see Paul. He's already been beaten and everything from place to place. Every time he preaches the gospel, people get stirred up. Some people get saved. Satan's getting mad. Satan sends his people over there, and they want to run him out. They want to kill him. They want to imprison him. And now he's afraid of that again. Verse 7, And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. Now notice the next name, verse 8, and Crispus. Who is this man? 
Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. How did he do, come to this place? Because Paul led him to the Lord. Then it says, <coughs> excuse me, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. In verse 9, God speaks to Paul and gives him a gift. Then spake the Lord unto Paul in a night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in the city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God. Paul needed that. Everybody's got a breaking point, and Paul was at his breaking point. You say, how do you know that? Because God gave this to him. You get tired of getting beaten. You get tired of being slandered. You get tired of being falsely accused. You get tired of being called corrupt. You get tired of everything he'd gone through, being beaten and with stripes, in prison, stoned and left for dead. Every time he would go into a place and start preaching the word of God, you get these Jews coming in and they start disrupting things and having people to come over there and start slandering him and running him out of there. Oh, they wanted him dead. You get tired of that. And this man was at that breaking point. And God tells him, Paul, don't be afraid. I'm with you, Paul. Paul, I want you to speak. And I love this. Hold not thy peace. That's like saying, sick him. Go after him. Preach the word. Shout it out. Don't worry about anybody else. You know, when you know you've got God's promise, you can do anything. And this man had God's promise. Something's going to take place in just a little bit later. Something's going to take place where he's going to have to reflect back on that promise. Here he is. He's doing a great work. And after he's been there for a while, people are getting saved. Now, Crispus got saved. When Crispus gets saved, that's a wonderful thing. He's, a, he's, a, uh, he's the ruler of the synagogue. Nobody's going to cross him. People are going to follow him, and they got saved too. But like any ruler or leader, they have terms. Their terms are up after so many years. For instance, you see a, a young man by the name of Gallio. He was, uh, what was he? He was, like a, he was like a deputy there. We would refer to him like a mayor. He comes into power. Uh, Crispus steps down, a new guy, Sosthenes, he steps up. He's now the ruler of the synagogue. Something's starting to take place here. The Jews see an opportunity to run this man out. Every time people, uh, Paul comes into an area, people are getting saved. They're turning from the Jewish religion. They're turning from following us and following Jesus. They're mad. Now they see the opportunity. Look at verse uh, 13. They bring Paul in. They accuse him, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. The Jews got it. They got Sosthenes. Sosthenes? You work with us. Let's get Paul in there to this new mayor called Galileo. Let's get him in there. Let's get this guy run out of there. So they said, this fellow persuaded men to worship God contrary to the law. Paul's like, oh, here we go again. But wait a minute. Does he not have God's promise? Isn't God going to keep his word and protect him? I love the next verse, verse 14. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, he didn't even have a chance to speak. Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason what would that I should bear with you. In other words, 
Is it a matter of the law? Did he break the law? Did he kill somebody? Did he steal from somebody? But no, it's not a matter of the law. This is your business. I don't want anything to do with it. He says in verse 18, but if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. I'm not going to hear it. I'm not going to listen to it. I'm sure Paul's like that. They accuse him. He's like, this guy steps up and he starts talking. Am I hearing what I'm hearing? Oh, Lord, thank you. This is awesome. You said you, I, you told me I can sick him, and I'm sick him. <laughs> That's not right. But anyways, <laughs> I went after him. Uh, but, uh, and he did. He's preaching, and people are coming to Christ. He doesn't even have a chance to open his mouth. He says, I'm not going to judge us. Verse 16, and he drave, he drove them from the judgment. He said, get out of here. 17, then all the Greeks, not the Jews, then all the Greeks took Sosthenes. Why? He's the ruler of the synagogue. The chief ruler of the synagogue and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of those things. All he cared about was doing his job. I don't care about your religion. I don't care about the way you worship. I don't care about your laws. All I care about is what I'm supposed to do with these laws. He didn't break any of these laws. If he did, show me. Didn't do it? Get out of here. And the Greeks beat Sosthenes. Remember, Crispus was a, the, used to be the ruler. He turned to become a Christian. Sosthenes is a new guy. He sees an opportunity to expand himself. He wants to be a go-getter. He wants to rise up in leadership. And it backfired. It backfired tremendously. And they beat him. Now, there's an opportunity here. Paul, or somebody, led that man to the Lord. Paul knows what it's like to be beaten he knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He knows this man, this man falsely accused me. But there's a word he used. It's called grace. What grace does, it's unmerited favor. I think Paul showed that man grace. And as this man's been beaten and tossed out, I wonder at whose feet he fell down at. And I wonder if it was Paul that reached down and picked him up. Because we see this man later on in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 1, where it says, let's read that again, 1 Corinthians 1. He says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, what's the next words? Our brother. He accepted Christ as his Savior. And now Paul's, there's two, two chief of the rulers of the synagogue that are born again. You've got the corrupt city of Corinth, a wicked place. All kinds of corruption coming in daily through the two ports, one on each side. And yet now you've got two of the rulers of synagogue that are born again believers. And people who can influence others and they get saved. Oh, what a wonderful thing. So now his credentials are skyrocketing. And Paul's like, Lord, you're right. You, you protected me, and not only did you protect me, you blessed me. One chief ruler saved, another chief ruler saved. And he, now here he is. These people know that. They know the story. They saw the grace of God on Sosthenes. They know that, Paul, you are an apostle of Jesus Christ. You are a man of God. We've seen what you've done. Now let's look at the testimony of the believers back in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 6. He says, 
he speaks of their testimony. He says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. You say, how is it that the testimony of Christ is in them? They saw it. But preacher, you see all the troubles in the church. Yes, but the outside world is so much more worse than it was in the church. You see, people say, well, those hypocrites that go to church, amen. Yeah, that's where hypocrites need to go so they get right with God and stop being hypocrites. All right? We need to be right with God. We need the preaching. We need our, our toes stepped on. So even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in him, he tells us how it's confirmed in them. In verse 2, he talks about their sanctification. That means how they were pulled out of the world and unto Jesus Christ. Sanctification means separation. When I was saved, I was sanctified. Now, I'm continually being sanctified daily where I'm becoming more like Christ, but there was a permanent sanctification that took place upon my salvation where God pulled me out of the world. I'm no longer a child of the world, no longer a child of the devil, but now I'm a child of Jesus Christ. So they were unsaved, but now they're born again. So their sanctification, verse 2, he also call, calls them saints. Well, preacher, I'm not a saint. Are you saved? If you're saved, you're called to be saintly. Before people are saved, you can't be saintly. But after you're saved, you're called to be saintly. So I'm, I've been spiritually birthed into the family of God. I belong to Jesus Christ. There's a calling of every Christian to be saintly, to be a saint. And so that's what he's calling these people. You say, why is it? Because all my sins are washed away and I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. And then he adds something else about their testimony. He says, which call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Now, does the world call upon Jesus? I know that the world uses Jesus' name in vain. I had a grandfather, I was born on his birthday, and he definitely was not a Christian. He used God's name in vain every other word, and I don't want to repeat it because it's vulgar. And so, and, and that sickens me to think about that. But you see, the, the world doesn't call on Jesus' name. They don't care about Jesus. In the same chapter, look down at verse 23. Let's look at how the world views this. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. How does the world perceive it? Unto the Jews, Jesus Christ is a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, he's foolishness. But unto them that are called, both Jews, Greeks, doesn't matter. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Go to verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He's not that to the world, but to me. That's who he is. He is my redeemer. He is my sanctification. He pulled me out of the world and placed me into the family of God. He is my righteousness. I can't get to heaven on my own righteousness. I need his righteousness. Not only that, but he is my wisdom. He is my wisdom. Remember what he shared in Sunday school where the Bible talks about his ways are higher than the ways and his thoughts and our thoughts. Also, where it says in Corinthians where it talks about the foolishness of this world. Uh, I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Where the foolishness of God is wiser 
uh, than the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world can't even match to the foolishness of God. And when we get saved, God doesn't bring us up to the wisdom of the world. He doesn't even bring us up to the foolishness of God, but he brings us to the wisdom of God, which is far superior than his foolishness, it's far superior than the wisdom of this world. That's what we wanted when we get saved. We wanted something greater than ourselves. And this is their testimony. But there's something even greater about their testimony. In verse uh, 3, go to 1 Corinthians 1, 3. Grace. He says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. And from the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and knowledge. Paul thanks God for the evidence of the grace that's upon them. The evidence of the grace. Grace has evidence. Now, there's religions out there where a lot of Baptists are, are going into this thing where it's, well, because I'm in God's grace, I can do whatever I want to do. But Paul handles that in Romans. What, shall we continue in sin that grace may abide? God forbid. We're not to continue in sin just because we have God's grace. It's not a license to sin. No, you don't understand what grace means. The, the word grace, it means, if I were to ask you, you're going to say unmerited favor. It means we don't deserve it. And that's exactly right. But it's greater than that. So you think about these people. They've got God's grace upon them. They don't deserve to be saved. They don't deserve to be forgiven, and neither do you, and neither do I. But that's part of God's grace. God's grace goes deeper than that. But God's grace is God's power working in you. God's power working in you. How can we turn from our sins? How can we be conformed to His image if it were not for His grace? So God's power working in you and God's power working through you. Everybody wants God's power working in them so I can be conformed to his image, so I can be a better person, so I can enjoy uh, the riches of his grace. But his power working through you, it affects other lives. It spills over and affects other individuals where you get to make an impact on other people and see other people saved because of his grace on your life. People look at you and say, I don't understand. I knew you would, the way you were before you were saved. I know the things that you've done in the past. Boy, I can't believe you're working in a church today. I can't believe that you're playing the piano. I can't believe they'll let you teach a Sunday school class. That's part of God's grace. God's grace is powerful in these people. They see it. It's evident in their life. Then he uses another word, enrich. He, said, he says that in everything ye are enriched in him. Oh, we want God's power working in us. We want God's power working through us. And so remember, remember who Paul was before he saved. He was a persecutor of the Christians. He was the one that chased people down, and he chased them all over the place. He imprisoned people. He split up families. Stephen was killed, and they laid their coats at, uh, at Saul's feet, who was Paul later on. They know he who was, but his grace is evident in his life. And because of God's grace... Uh, he mentions this man, Sosthenes. He gets saved. Now that's part of God's grace. His grace spilled over into his life. And so the power of God is working in him and affecting other people. It's spilling over. Once you come to the place of full surrender, 
full surrender to the Lord, then God will take control of your life and start to lead you every step of the way. You will be very good at some things, and God will take the things you're good with. And, and part of God's grace, he uses the word enrich. Enrich in everything. If I were to ask you, what are you good at? Some people are good with working with wood. Some people are good with working with people. Some people are good with working with stone. But God's grace, he wants you to be enriched. He takes what's there and enrich. He makes it better. So he takes this life, this miserable life, however it came to him. His grace comes into my life. He comes into your life. He cleans you up from the inside. And his grace works in you, and he walks alongside of you, and he begins to in, take what's there, what you are, and he enriches you, and he makes you better. That's part of God's grace. He doesn't leave us the way we are. Say, preacher, God can't help me. Oh, why? But that's what his grace does. It, yet we each have to come to that place. It's called full surrender. He says that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and knowledge. He improves, he enhances the quality of, the value of. He adds beauty. He enhances uh, what is already there. God takes us and he makes us beautiful in his eyes. I, I love the illustration in Exodus where he talks about uh, uh, taking these men with these abilities where God gave them wisdom. He gave them the ability to make all the artifacts of the temple and to build the temple. You talk about the apparel of the priest. That wisdom came from God. He took what was already there and added value to it. He added beauty to it. Go to Psalms 37. Psalms chapter 37. We see that Jesus adds value to us. He does something. He cleans us up. He adds grace. And in your life, you're, you already have likes and dislikes. There are things you love to do. There are things uh, that you want to do. But this is where full surrender and his promises come in. And Psalm 37, look with me at verse 3. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and the judgment as the noonday. God says, you surrender to me, you trust in me. He says, trust and do good. Delight, commit, trust in him, and he'll bring it to pass. Those are great promises for you to memorize in the Bible. So the Christian, the average Christian, needs to come to the place where I want God's grace in me. I want God's grace through me. I have to surrender myself to him. Full surrender. Not partial, but full surrender. Then God takes what's there, your life. He enhances it. He adds value to it. He makes it beautiful because of his grace. You've allowed him to do that. The talent that he's given you. Something else he does here. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, uh, verse 7, he speaks of gifts. He says, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gifts he's speaking are, are all inclusive with his grace. He wants to enrich your life. 
And that comes with service. When we surrender ourselves to God, God, I'm yours. Whatever you want me to do. He may want you to be a lawyer. He may want you to work in the factory. He may want, want you to work at the stores. He may want you to drive the forklift. He may want you to be a police officer. He may want you to be a preacher or an evangelist. But whatever he calls you to do, he wants you to serve him, be fully surrendered to him, and he will enrich your life. He will bless your life. Those are promises that he gives you. And then as you serve him, isn't it possible that he can add gifts to your life? You're serving him. Say, preacher, I'm afraid to stand up in front of people. That was me years ago. You say, I'd never believe that. No, I was terrified. But I got saved. God did some things in my life and turned my life around. God's grace worked in me and God's grace worked through me. So that you come behind. How do you come behind? Well, there's a verse too. I can't remember exactly what it is. I believe it's in Galatians where he says you're fallen from grace. I want you to remember that. Some people think when it says you're falling from grace, you lose your salvation. No, we can't lose our salvation. The Bible tells us that when you're saved, you're sealed with this Holy Spirit. God holds you. He seals you. You belong to him. There's a birth that takes place. You're birthed into the family of God. You can't lose what he holds. He holds you dear. He'll never uh, leave you nor forsake you. And so you can't lose it, but you're falling from grace. What does that mean to fall from grace? That means you stopped. You purposely stopped allowing him to work in your life. You stopped the work of God because maybe you turned and you went back into sin. Fallen from grace. That means you're still saved. If you've ever been saved, you're always saved. You say, what do I do, preacher? Turn around. Repent. Go back to him. Let his grace work in your life. You know, when God's grace is in your life, he adds favor to you, unmerited favor. How many of you ever been pulled over by a police officer and you did not get a ticket? That's God's grace, isn't it? That's God's grace, amen. And I can imagine the stories that we would hear in that. But the last thing here that he talks about is our fellowship with Christ. Uh, I got several verses here. Uh, Proverbs, go to Proverbs. I got a couple of them in Proverbs, chapter 16 and chapter 21. And then this, the last one is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The, our fellowship with Christ. When we're fully surrendered with Jesus Christ, he takes us under his wing and his grace walks us through life. Remember, he's working in us and he's working through us. He's enriching our lives. He's taking what's already there and adding more value to it. When we came to Christ, I guarantee you, when I came to Christ, there was no value in me. There's probably no value in you when you came to Christ. But that's what His grace does. He adds value. And as He does that, there's fellowship. There's fellowship in there, Lord, I never dreamed I could do this. Lord, I give you all the glory for this. There's fellowship where you're communing with one another. But you've got to be fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. And so another part of his grace where God makes all his grace abound towards you. Say, why would he make all his grace abound towards me? Because you're serving him. Because you're following him. Do you think God can make it not rain just so your VBS can be successful? Absolutely. Do you think God can do things in your life that are beneficial to you because you're serving him? 
Absolutely. I've seen God hold the rain off for some of our vacation Bible schools. I've seen God control the weather just for us. I've seen God do certain things just for me as I'm serving him. And I'm sure every Christian has something that they can point to that God has done something for them. And these three verses, I want you to understand his grace. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh any, even his enemies to be at peace with him. If you're serving God, I guarantee you're going to have people who don't like you. You may work in a uh, company where a lot of heathen are there, unsaved people are there, and they don't like you because you won't go out drinking them, with them. They don't like you because you sit down at the break table and open your Bible and you pray. And they don't like you because, and you can go on. They don't like to hear the name of Jesus. And you're talking, and you, maybe you didn't do this on purpose, and you say, well, praise God. Praise what? They don't understand it. And people may hate you. But he says, when a man's ways please the Lord. There's fellowship right there. I'm making my ways his ways. I'm doing the things that he wants me to do. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies be at peace with him. Chapter 21, verse 1. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth whithersoever he will. I've seen God take bosses' hearts and turn it in favor of Christians. Christians come in and say, preacher, will you pray for me that God will give me a raise? Sure. I remember one guy, uh, this is another church I pastored. He drove a, a truck that served or transported beer, you know, took him to all these convenience stores. And he came in to my office one day and he heard me preaching on that. He says, what do I do, preacher? He says, this is my job. I says, well, you know, it's not right, right? He said, yeah. And I says, why don't you pray about it? Why don't you ask God uh, before you go into your boss and say, God, will you, and I gave him this verse, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whithersoever he will. I said, why don't you go in there and talk to your boss? Say, say sir, is there anything else I can do other than transport beer? He says, you know what? I'll do it. So this is a Sunday. Monday morning, he goes in, he opens the door, and they call and say, hey, come here, the boss wants to talk to you. What? The boss wants to talk to you. Okay. He comes into the room there. He says, close the door. He closes the door. He calls him by name. He says, hey, I want to ask you, uh, we've got another truck here, and uh, I've got you in mind. I'd like to ask you if you want to drive it. Now, listen, it's not doing the same thing, but uh, the hour's a little bit shorter, but it pays more. It's not transporting beer. He didn't have to open his mouth, but when he came to the place of full surrender to the Lord and says, all right, I'll do it, God says, I'll do the rest for you. That's God's grace. Amen. The king's heart's in the hand of the Lord. And who controls the king's heart? God does. That's part of the grace. You see, as a child of God, we got to come back to these verses and we got to say, God, you're right. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to fully surrender my life. Like the illustration I gave earlier about being in an unequal yoke, sometimes we're going in circles, not getting anywhere because we don't trust God in these matters. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, you, always having all sufficiency in some things, is that what it says? It says all things may abound to every good work. Oh, I love that word grace. Now I know it's more than just unmerited favor. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve to go to heaven when I die. I don't deserve for my sins to be forgiven. But it's much more than that. 
His power working in me. God, I'm struggling with this thing. His power works in me to help me. God, I, I, I need help out there reaching this one and this one. His power working in me. His power working through me. You know, if His grace is that powerful, I guess I can trust Him. I guess I can do anything He asked me to do. Isn't that right? That's the grace of God. Let's all stand your feet. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.